Today's World podcast helps independent creators live their creative and financial freedom. I'm your host, Fei Wu, and I'll be taking you through a series of interviews with creators from around the world who are living life on their own terms. Each episode is packed with tactics, nuggets you can implement, origin stories to make listening productive and enjoyable. We're not only focused on the more aspirational stories, but relatable ones as well. We also have non-interview-based mini-series releasing throughout the year to help deep dive into topics such as freelancing, marketing, even indie filmmaking that will benefit creators like you. Show notes, links, and ways to connect with the guests are available on phaseworld.com. Now, on to the show. Hey guys, it's Fei Wu and welcome to another episode of Phase World Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. And I want to take a moment just to thank you guys because you may or may not know this, but about 75 to 80% of the listeners who stumble upon Phase World every week is new. I know that stats is kind of crazy because I wish there were more returning listeners, but at the same time, I'm really grateful that we just started a new relationship. You know, this week with Allison Martin is going to be such a treat because I met her not so long ago, about a year ago, um, and we kept in touch. And she was introduced to me through her brother, Gareth Martin, who appeared on an earlier episode of the Face World podcast. And Gareth and I met through Seth Godin's L10BA. We even had the opportunity to kind of cross the ocean and meet each other in person in London uh, almost exactly a year ago in October 2008. But very soon after that, I found out that Gareth's sister, Allison Martin, was kind of working and living in Boston. And they both are originally from South Africa. I realized that Allison is in a very unique situation and is just the type of person I want to invite onto the show because she is not only a female immigrant, but she's also a traveling entrepreneur. Check it out. She is the founder of You Do Test. U-D-O test. That's right. The first company of its kind to help significantly reduce the unnecessary cervical cancer death in Africa. Following a mobile and tech career, Allison noticed the significant lack of accessibility to medical services and care across Africa. After the first few experiences of getting her pep smear, she figured that there must be a better and easier way for women to receive these tests, possibly in the comfort of their own homes. I cannot agree with this statement more. And as you can imagine, I think if you're a woman listening to this, I bet you want to look her up because I certainly did. You Do Test was the start of something digitally different in South Africa. And with the intention of merging tech healthcare, and a much greater purpose all into one. The goal was to educate, increase awareness, and disease prevention. And it's kind of, in my two cents, Allison's way of giving back to the community and empowering women. After receiving several notable awards in South Africa, Allison decided to bring Test to the United States in 2017. She traveled to different states, including the South, the West, and now the East Coast of America. Boston, Massachusetts, to be specific, continuing to spread the word of Test. Today, Test offers a unique and sophisticated B2B, so business-to-business, at-home disease testing SaaS platform. So if you're not super familiar with all the jargons and software terms, 
SaaS, S-A-A-S, means it's software as a service. And that is in partnership with leading global laboratories and physicians. test sets forward a personalized, comprehensive, in-network, lower cost, and life-saving at-home testing experiences for a wider population in North America today. But wait, what more will you learn in this episode? Allison shares her current journey as a 30-something-year-old female immigrant and traveling entrepreneur living in Boston, her successes and struggles as an independent creator and entrepreneur, running a business while adapting a new life living in a foreign country, how Allison manages to balance her career and a long-distance relationship with her boyfriend who still lives in South Africa, her decision for delaying having children, starting a family, and living a quote-unquote normal life. She also talks about her experience, which is freezing her eggs, the process, and the feedback, all of her experience completely on the table. So if you're a woman in your 30s, experiencing some of the same thoughts, whether you're a traveling entrepreneur or otherwise, I think you'll find a lot of very useful information and uh, in the context of someone who understands you. And that makes not just Allison, but myself as the interviewer as well. So before I close and and let you get started with this episode, I want to share D.H. Lawrence quote, which is that she bear children is not a woman's significance, but she bear herself. That is her supreme and risky fate. Without further ado, please welcome Allison Martin to the Face World podcast. Ali Martin, welcome to Face World. <laughs> uh, thanks, Faye. So lovely to speak to you again. I really, really love it. Yeah, you know what's interesting, Ali, is the fact that I met your brother first through LTMBA, and you weren't even part of Seth Godin's LTMBA, but because you're here in Boston, and then he introduced us. And I noticed that the moment that we got introduced, it was funny. We sat down, ate a salad for lunch. Well, salads for lunch. We're not like that. You know, we both enjoy food very much. Um, Oh my gosh. Like I met this woman in my 30s. And, you know, I know you're a few years younger than I am. And, and, uh, you know, we have so much to talk about. We seem to be sort of on these, you know, even though different paths, but somehow we can relate to one another. No, I love it. No, absolutely. It is kind of, um, yeah, it was like friendship at first sight for me. I was like, oh my God, this woman is just so, so motivated, so inspiring. I can learn so much for you. And we're similar ages. And where, where have you been? It's amazing. No, I absolutely love it. Yeah, so grateful. Um, how do you, I wonder, I'm curious, like you grew up obviously with your girlfriends from childhood, kindergarten, grade school, and now you're traveling around the world. Like how many of those people are you still in touch with or do you find sort of a engaging conversations with? Or, oh, you, you know? Wow. So, so I'm actually, I'm actually very, very lucky. I've got an incredible group of girlfriends um, and, and I'm actually in touch with all, pretty much all of them still. Um, so Really, I mean, my my oldest friend. Um, I, I, I met her. Well, we became friends when I was five. So, um, and and we're still friends to this day. We went to the same schools, all that sort of thing. And and I actually kind of sent her a text a couple of days ago. So, so I am actually, I think, very fortunate. I, I don't know if it's if it's if it's uncommon amongst women, and and especially as we move on in our lives. But the, 
But I'm actually very fortunate in that I do have um, quite a solid group of probably about five to ten girlfriends. Um, you know, some of them back at home, some of them have immigrated, but um, but yeah, all all kind of going through our various stages of life, and, and very fortunate to at various points, you know, still um, talk and touch base, and yeah, absolutely adore one another. That that's lovely. Is have moved away and still be able to keep in touch and. Uh, today, you know, today is like day in an age with all the technologies surrounded. I think that's the one thing that technology actually brings joy to us is to help us keep in touch with one another after all these years. Absolutely. And you like make a plan, right? So, I mean, over here, obviously, I'm uh, six to seven hours behind where all my friends and my family are. So, um, so you make a plan, you, you kind of get up a bit earlier. And, and I actually have like coffee, I have morning coffee chats to my friends and it's, uh, it's, it's lunchtime or kind of afternoon their time. So they're having afternoon lunch. So, uh, so we have kind of those, those awesome catch ups and you just make a plan. Yeah, it's worth it. It's so interesting to hear about immigrant stories. And recently, you know, the morning chats is what I'm hearing for the first time. One of my girlfriends is doing like dinner while she's actually eating dinner. She has her iPad open talking to her mom who lives in China. And I was like, that's brilliant because I rarely find those, even, you know, without kids, I rarely find moments where I'm not typing on a computer, when I'm not doing research. And, you know, when I'm eating, that's a perfect time. Like she could be eating too. What I mean, time-wise might not line up, but it's, it's a lovely idea. Definitely. Well, I mean, you know, you kind of, you, the best times like you and I, the best times over meals, right? So you're having, we're having lunch together and that's great. So what's the difference? I'm just having breakfast or coffee on my side and my friends or my dad or whoever is having you know, lunch or afternoon tea on their side. So it's just over a virtual connection, which is, um, yeah, just so much more special. Yeah. So you know, obviously you're not from around here. You gave that away pretty early on. Uh, and, uh, you know, tell us about, uh, your origin, like where did you come from? And like at a high level, you know, what was it like growing up in, in South Africa? Yeah, cool. So it's actually, it's, it's not in some ways, it's kind of not too dissimilar to, I think your, your suburban areas in the United States. Um, we, um, I, you know, I'm in, I'm in my 30s, so so South Africa had kind of gone through their the, the kind of more um, kind of stressful times, and, and we were coming out of that. And I think my generation is like all all kind of forward thinking and and getting over that. But the point is, um, you know, we stayed in a suburban area. We went to a public school, like a very nice school in our area. Um, we were. We were lucky in that, you know, we could walk to school and walk home. So similar to here where, you know, it's safe enough to do so. But but that's not common. I mean, you know, in South Africa, you wouldn't kind of walk after dark or anything. Um, and then, and then I, you know, obviously... South Africa is an interesting country in that, you know, we've got kind of, unfortunately, kind of vast disparities in our population. So, so we definitely have town trips and shanty towns or whatever, um, you know, but obviously the way they set up our country was quite, quite divided. So, um, so we still had a suburban area um, and, and, and our close group of friends and all kind of multicultural at, at my, my time. So that was awesome. Um, and and really, thankfully, um, you know, I would say not dissimilar to what you have here. Um, mm-hmm. Other than I think us 
us being very conservative by nature, um, very um, more more kind of closed, I would say, less trusting. Um, and then just also, you know, because of the surroundings and because it's obviously not the safest place, you're, uh, you know, you're kind of more more closed, more to yourselves, I would say, in South Africa. Mm, Whereas wow. here, people I find a lot more generous, a lot more open, um, a lot more naturally giving, um, and, and and therefore it's kind of a lot more. It's obviously a lot more freeing um, being here, if I had to compare it. And I think, um, I think what I've been exposed to so far, I would say that kids here, um, are, you know, they they um, they grow up taking ownership and accountability a lot quicker because they get onto buses, they walk around, you know, they walk home mm-hmm. from school, they got like a lot of their own time. Whereas back home, because of safety issues or whatever, kids are a lot more uh, nurtured and protected by their parents. There's a lot, they're a lot more anxious, that kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. so long story short, I mean, it wasn't dissimilar, but, but I think it would be different now. I think it's funny to hear that because what I'm constantly here, uh, like right around this location, I mean, New England and like even the majority of the United States, a lot of people complain. And I think to partially or largely that is true, which is, you know, people of an older generation, you know, 45, 50 and up, they grew up playing on the street. They walk themselves to school, back from school. And these days in the U.S., kids don't get to do that anymore. There's a lot of fear about like not just gun violence, all kinds of violence and, you know, things like that in general. And uh, like where I'm living, if I look outside, I I rarely, and it's like, it's sad to me because I remember growing up playing outside all the time, even though Beijing from different parts of my upbringing, you know, wasn't necessarily the safest place either. You know, certain parts like downtown and such. But yeah, it's just like now I think in comparison, what you have witnessed is like, it's all relative. <laughs> yeah. And um, I mean, I mean, now that we're talking about it, my, I mean, what's significantly different, obviously, is that uh, we have, um, we have walls around our homes and it sounds, it sounds weird, but obviously like now that I'm here and I've been here for three years and it sounds weird when I explain it to Americans, but it's kind of like, we've got the most, we've got homes, but, but you don't see them because all you see are walls. And, oh, and wow. you know, my friends back home would be laughing at me because it's kind of the norm. It's like, well, of course you have a wall, you know, like, mm-hmm. and, and until I think you've actually lived elsewhere and, and understand that, you know, how restrictive that is and you're really kind of enclosing yourself into your own little prison. Um, mm. But as a kid, you know, you play, you play outside, you do whatever you want, but it's just within your walls. Do you know what I mean? Like you, mm. you there's no playing on streets generally um, because you're, you know, you're enclosed in these walls, which is, is quite strange when you go there as a tourist actually to see the difference. I, yeah, I'm so curious. I mean, I have a lot of friends in South Africa, has become this like a very tourist destination for uh, Asian people for quite a long time. And I was surprised when first people like told me about it. I was like, what really are you going to (laughs) be? Do you know what you're doing? Like which part of, and then they will take pictures and looks like the most, you know, parts of it, like at least the part that they went to looks very European and like looks just the same like everywhere else. So yeah. Yeah. No, it's gorgeous. I mean, honestly, we've got a beautiful yeah. Um, you know, I prefer Cape Town to Johannesburg, but it's, it's, it, it is magnificent. And I think if you've, you know, if you've got, you can have an amazing lifestyle, um, living in South Africa and, um, you know, it's, um, 
for, for, for a lot of bad news that I think it sometimes gets, it is an absolutely gorgeous place to, to be, to live, to raise a family. If, you know, if, um, you know, you're just kind of street smart and savvy. And yeah. Figure that out. Yeah. A lot of that is prejudice, like totally, you know, what we imagine. And even the stories, honestly, I hear from other people about China. I'm like, you should go. And I'm seriously, yeah. you must go. <laughs> I am okay. I'm not offended because what you learn about, you know, via textbooks and news, it's always like breaking news, something's happening. And you go over there, people are greeting you, they huge respect for you. And Chinese people love foreigners. They're, you know, for years, decades, it's just a lot of curiosity about and in introducing them to the food, it's very welcoming. So, yeah. So, what brought you here? Oh my God. Like, it's a gorgeous place. And, you know, you came from a good family, you know, grew up, had like, you know, the safety growing up and then you are here by yourself. Mm. Yeah. I mean, so I've, uh, I'm very lucky. I've, I've always kind of, well, for a large portion of my career, I've been an entrepreneur. Um, and, and I started uh, my company, you do test. Um, originally I started about five and a half, six years ago in South Africa. And, um, and really we received, um, we was, we won several awards that, um, in, in 2016 that were pretty unexpected and pretty kind of remarkable. And we were like, Oh my gosh, you know, we, we basically we do a specialized type of testing, uh, medical testing. And, um, and really we make it super simple for people to, um, to test themselves and stay healthy and that kind of thing within a private um, home, uh, easy environment. And, uh, and I launched it really many years ago because I had to go for my pap smear. And, uh, and I was running another business before this and, um, and I just, I was just like, I just can't believe women are still going for absence. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, I didn't have time and couldn't kind of understand the importance of it. Uh, and, and really just started doing research and, and digging deep and, and going for meetings with doctors, pathologists, et cetera, to figure out, you know, how can women start doing this themselves? Wow. Um, Hold on. So let's like take a pause right there. So you were, you know, I I think you were in your late, mid to late twenties when this got started and you had your pep smear. I mean, everybody hates it. Like, it's so funny. It's one of those things, like I feel nervous, but then at the end of it, I was like, okay, it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. But, uh, you know, even the conversation, just being in that environment and it's very, it's very awkward. Like I remember the first time getting it done, I didn't want to go back to work. I was just like, I think I'm done for the day. I, I think, yeah, I feel, I feel just, just a little violated. I'm going home. Exactly. I was like, I think I need a rest. Yeah, I need a rest. <laughs> oh, God. But yeah. I love where you, you see, but I just, I went I went back home. Yeah, I don't accept that. I'm just like, what if I'm not doing this? Yeah, yeah, you're like, no, I'm not going home. I'm going future pep smear. Um, yeah, so like, it sounds so natural to you, which is interesting because I talk to a lot of, I, I consider you also as a creative entrepreneur. It means that you, you don't have to be an artist, fine artist or musician or an actor. We have a lot of those folks here on the show. But what I find exactly what you said just now, that is Create creativity in its purest sense, right? You you had an experience. You know you're not alone. I just reaffirmed you, and uh, you start talking to all these doctors. Like, could you give me like some insights of 
what what those days were like? Literally, how do you reach out to doctors? Like, what are some of the questions you asked? <laughs> well, yeah. first, first, you sound like a total idiot because you're not <laughs> you're not a doctor. You're not in healthcare. I was just running another tech company. All I knew was was how to build stuff, and uh, so so you got to accept the fact that you're going to sound like an idiot to most people. Mm-hmm. Um, and how did it start? I actually I started reading a lot of clinical studies. So, so thankfully, and, and I don't know why, I, I, I actually just became obsessed with HPV. Um, it sounds crazy, but, uh, but I absolutely freaking love it. Like, <laughs> like, uh, like I love, it. There's, there's, there's kind of like a clinical, but also a kind of technical side to HPV that I just became fascinated with. And then there's so many, you know, there are hundreds of different types. And then it was like, oh, you know, what does this one cause? How does it, you know, interact with these parts of the body? Mm-hmm. Um, so for some other reason, I just like started reading about HPV and, and loads of clinical studies and those, like, those can bore you to death fast. But, um, but they, they didn't for me. Um, and, then, and then once I'd done that, then I was a li- little bit more kind of better versed when, when talking <laughs> to doctors or pathologists. Yeah. Not much, but a little bit. Um, and, and really it was a matter of kind of picking up the phone, sending an email and being like, hey, um, at the time it was with um, Africa's largest lab. Um, so your version of like Quest or LabCorp over here. And it was a case of like sending an email and like just being like, hey, doctor so-and-so, I saw you on this website and, uh, you know, I'm interested in X, Y, Z, can you help? <laughs> so uh, it kind of started off as that. And then, you know, obviously with each and every meeting, you get more comfortable um, and, and better versed and sound less like an idiot. And, and then, you know, you get you get a lot of doors closed. A lot of people think you're a moron and a lot of people judge you mm-hmm. and you lose faith and you think you're crazy. And then one person, literally one amazing professor in South Africa, I'll never forget her. Um, she, she met with me and she said, Alison, I think you're onto something. Mm-hmm. Yay! <laughs> Sorry, I'm just like celebrating. Yeah. No more pep smears. Yay. And then, yeah, that, that's it. You know, that's all I needed in order to like, you know, kind of quit everything, move, move uh, cities and start and be like, great, let's go. Um, so you just need, you need one champion, one believer to, to give you that vote of confidence. Isn't it crazy? Because same thing, right? Like with interviewing people on the podcast. I mean, that is like a very non-intrusive, like most people would just say yes, but still you get rejections, you get no's are not the worst answer. Some people just never respond or um, they, they don't, you know, they don't say anything. And you as a uh, beginner creator thinking through like, what did I do wrong? But you continue down that path and you have this tiny little platform and other people want to stand on this platform with you. I, I use the metaphors like our coffee table at home. That's the size of the platform I had. And people <laughs> decided to stand on it with me and, you know, take a few risks to That's say the things they're not so sure. Um, yeah, they're certain we're not. So how long did it take for these having these lovely conversations to, wow, meeting this woman? Like how long did that take till then? And what happened after that from like ideation to like... I mean, I would say it probably took about a year, I think. 
for the um, conversation. Kind of, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a lot of research, a lot of thinking about it, but also because, you know, it's a big, it's a big step. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was running this other business, but, but for, for everyone else, you know, they would be normally, they have a job. So, so it's a big decision. So, so you got to get like the confidence and, and, and you know, get to the point where you're, you're ready to, to be like, okay, cool. Well, I'm going to minimize my hours here and I'm going to start taking up hours there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and we're going to actually start designing this, this product and this solution that is going to help like thousands of women. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, I think, I mean, within my life, I mean, I was going through like a specific change at the time. I think I was breaking up with a really, really interesting boyfriend. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> interesting in what way? Like, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Inspiring. Phenomenal. Um, and, and so I was kind of ready to leave where I was physically, like the, the, the home where I was staying. Um, mm. so, so then I was like, okay, well, there's no better time like the present. Um, you know, let's, let's leave, leave, leave this boyfriend and then let's move back to a place of, um, a place of growth. And, and at the same time, I was like, great, well, um, I'm going to, I'm going to start this business and I'd spoken to enough women. So you do obviously you'll use your research mm. and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Women were like, oh my God, you joking? Like a replacement to the PAPS now? Are you kidding me? Like I would have mm-hmm. done that yesterday. Yeah. Um, so you get like enough yeses and then eventually, um, then eventually you just can't stop thinking about it. It's, uh-huh. it's something you literally sleep on every single night. Somebody is literally kicking you out of bed and just saying, do it. Um, yeah. Yeah. You remind me of this, like, you know, people talk about the bedside manners. I remember, I remember when I first had my, <laughs> this is like too much information, but Hey, you know, <laughs> when I, and that's crazy. Cause for me, actually as like, you know, Chinese immigrant, like, first of all, my mom never talked to me about that. Like really just didn't happen until my primary care at the time told me like, Oh, you know, as a woman that you need to get this done, like over the age of 18 or something. Right. And Um, so I was like, okay, what's involved? And I start to really picture it. And, you know, you talk to your, you know, dorm room, whatever, or your your roommate (laughs) and it just like, and so I, I remember a decision that the doctor made was to, you know, the, the, the device that they use. I remember they said, oh, we're going to use like the one we use for teenagers or something like a a young woman. I'm like, yes, yes. I I can tell you how happy I was like, yes. And then as I, for the past, whatever, 20 years, 15 years. So every time I go get it, every time I see a new doctor, I was like, do you have the teenage size? <laughs> and then, oh, it was so, you think about the mental, it's funny to talk about it now. And then this nurse came in and said, um, the nurse came in and said, doctor, do you need the medium one with a large one? I said, medium. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so dreadful. And then the doctor answered, one was, so you never know. Yeah, like, this is yeah, seriously, the other one. I was like, oh, that is really artistic. The gold one from behind. <laughs> <laughs> the gold one. <laughs> Premium. Oh my God. <laughs> so we reserve this only for fake. <laughs> There's a shrine behind his desk. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Oh my god. Oh, I didn't read too much from Trevor Noah. 
Next career move, comedian. <laughs> oh my God. I just, it's true. It's like for women to have to think about like this, these things. And uh, I, oh my God. I, <laughs> the, the gold one. Oh, hello, kitty. Oh God. This is like getting out of control. I love it. I love it. But I'm so. I'm so grateful. Oh, I'm so no. grateful for people like yourself to find areas and you know find these pockets uh, in in the life that we live and trying to really make a world a better place. You know, and I, you know, <laughs> so, oh my god, I'm like with tears right. Now. <laughs> Oh my god. Hot girl summer. Um. Hi there, this is Fei Wu, and you're listening to the Face World podcast. Today on the show, we welcome Allison Martin, who was born and raised in South Africa, and she is the founder of You Do Test, the first company of its kind to help significantly reduce the unnecessary cervical cancer death in Africa. She is a traveling entrepreneur currently living in Boston, Massachusetts, and that's where we met. Um, well, I, you know, I want to talk about like production because I, actually let's give people uh, uh, some clarity for the products you have. So I remember you have tests for HPV, STD, if I'm correct, and other tests you're also developing like so now years later you've gone through like a this to me a suite of products like what what are you working on right now yeah so wow um so i mean our space has just like exploded um over the past uh, five and a half years that uh, and our business has changed um so you know huge lessons um learned and you know really just spent some time understanding um, the american market which is obviously where i've been for three years now mm-hmm. Um, and what we have now is essentially um, not only a much wider variety of tests. So um, clinically, the, the labs we work with are doing incredible stuff. You know, really kind of the world's leading laboratories are launching phenomenal things that we we partner with, and um, you know, we essentially uh, you know, design it within within our platform and our service. Um, but long story short, you can now screen for a huge amount of, of diseases and conditions from home, and uh, you know, including kind of chronic diseases, including diabetes, cholesterol, um, a full lipid panel, um, hormones, kidney disease, liver disease, like actually a huge amount. I mean, if anything, it's kind of not uh, not up to date on on our sites. But but what what we do now is we actually work with your health plans. Mm-hmm. Um, and your, uh, your, you know, your enterprises over here in the U.S. And because we've got so much kind of um, uh, not only um, IP and proprietary software that we've built now, but we've also got a huge amount of experience in, in diverse populations and, you know, serving people who, who are in a rural population or, you know, those who do have insurance, don't, et cetera, English-speaking, non-English-speaking. So, 
So really what we pride ourselves on is the actual user experience and, and designing something customized for you. And, and, you know, and on the one hand, we're like obsessed with the consumer and, and with, you know, in my world, the, the, the female, the, the mom, the uh, you know, busy executive, you know, women who just need a goddamn break. Um, and uh, we were obsessed with kind of designing products um, specific for her but also you know for her to encourage her family um and then and then on the other hand we've got this super powerful system so it's something we put all our energy and cash and time and capital into um that makes it simple and 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 allows um you know allows a health plan or an employer or a lab or you know anybody to really just um you know activate this type of service for their population easily so the models changed quite a lot, um, but also I think you know we've gotten a lot smarter and a lot more niche in kind of how, mm. how we operate. It's awesome. Well, you've only been in the U.S. for about a year right now. No, oh, no, no. Um, so in January it'll actually be three years. Oh, so wow, we have known each other for like I feel like the majority of that, but possibly the past or yeah, when do we? Yeah, or a year, yeah, 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 a year, year and a half. Gotcha. Yeah, maybe a year and a half. When I, I came to Boston the first time, it was last year, August. Yeah. I, I realized that Boston is not your first destination. That's why, because you yeah. were somewhere else. And uh, yes. yeah. gotcha. So now let's say uh, most of the listeners still for this podcast are American or based in the US. So if, yeah. they, if they're thinking it's like, like, ding, like something lights up is like, oh, I'm an executive woman. I don't want to go through this anymore. How then can they use the, the products? How, how could they track back to you? How do they take advantage of this? Yeah. So, so typically, I mean, we're actually targeting your, your enterprises, your, your health plans, employers, your labs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so typically it could be somebody who, who's either the CEO or in charge of innovation or in charge of kind of quality or cost savings or whatever at these organizations who we target. Mm-hmm. So not, not necessarily a, a direct consumer anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and those individuals um, you know, can contact us on our website, um, www.udotest.com. That's spelled U-D-O-T-E-S-T.com. Mm-hmm. And you know, essentially what we do is, is we design a fully-fledged start-to-finish um, at-home disease testing journey on their behalf, which is you know, pretty personalized and cool. So for example, like for someone like me, is it, this sounds like it's attached to a lab or perhaps it's for a consumer perspective, it's really attached to their health, health insurance um, provider. So it would be like in the US it would be something like Tufts Health, Healthcare, a Blue Cross Blue Shield. Um, but I know you're still in development. It, is it the case that uh, this test perhaps isn't like open or available to the general public just yet? Absolutely. So, so yeah, we, we changed that model a while ago, really, because uh, what, what happened is we knew that individuals in the U.S. wanted, wanted these types of tests to be paid for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you guys, um, you know, health insurance here is ridiculously expensive. Um, and, and essentially what we're testing are, are kind of fall within your prevention benefits um, kind of category. Oh, yeah. so, so we learned pretty quickly that we needed to get the stuff paid for as much as we could. Um, and as a result, we spent like the past year um, working with your health plans and understanding that and getting them paid for. Um, and, and as a result, you know, they, they are the ones who would essentially um, 
you know, invite you to this type of service as their member mm-hmm. to say, hey, Faye, um, you know, thanks for being a member of Tufts. You know, we really appreciate you and, and, and you know, want to offer you convenience and privacy. And this is some super cool um, service mm-hmm. that we now offer. Wow. So I am accumulating some questions. I feel like I'm trying to pretend like I'm listening and and meeting you for the first time because I, you know, sometimes it's hard when you interview a friend, then you feel like you already have a lot of the pieces uh, in place. So, you know, from the ideation to production, I think some of the listeners may be wondering, okay, that sounds amazing. You're already at this level, you're working with healthcare companies. What was it like for you to have these prototypes built? Uh, you know, the I'm, I'm not really an investor. I'm not really uh, sort of a founder in that sense. Was there any like seed money that uh, that you had? You know, who supported you in this initiative, this project at the at the beginning to make it into a thing? Like somebody can touch, see, and see the results from. Yeah, great question. And that kind of relates a little bit to the dots I was referring to earlier. Essentially, all you need is one crazy person. Mm. That's it. <laughs> so when we first started, I, I had one crazy person who, um, who I, I adore and has known me for about 10 years and uh, was somewhat of a mentor advisor to me in my previous uh, business and, and telecommunications career and everything. And um, this, I'll help you. You know, like, uh, yeah. obviously, I mean, I wasn't kind of drawing a salary or anything like that, but uh, but you need one person to just kind of support you in a small way um, financially. If you so need. true. And whether that's a family member, a friend, and in this case, it was, um, you know, it was my first really small investor. Mm-hmm. Um, they, you know, to this day, are, you know, sure, one of the, 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 the people I'm most grateful for in my life. And what's a, I heard, I thought it was she, the beginning that was he later on was one or. Oh, no, it was just one. It was he. He, okay. Uh, Is this, I mean, if it's a mentor, is it possible to reveal his name that we can like thank him for mentioning him on the blog post? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, his name, his name is Mark Atia and he's, um, he's, he's quite a kind of prestigious South African um, executive really who um, I've known for 10 to 15 years. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's incredible. I mean, you know, these are the names that you may or may not hear from, but uh, that having that, someone believes in you, that one crazy person, which years later will be hundreds and hopefully thousands of crazy people who believe in you, right? To make it a reality. Um, But, you know, I know it's an, you know, always an uphill battle sometimes from that, uh, having the first prototype, reiterating upon it and, and then you have to decide how little money that you set aside for yourself while working with these technologists and builders to make it into reality. Could you maybe talk about that part of your journey? What was easy? What was perhaps most likely challenging uh, during that part before you, you know, before you came to the U.S.? Because we also want to talk about your journey since you have arrived in the U.S. But what yeah. was that? Wow. So, like? you know, definitely some of the most, wow, some of the most challenging times are, um, were, were definitely meetings with 
at back at the time in South Africa, it would be you know meetings with employers with your very powerful insurers over there. You know, it would be typically your clinical people with respect. Um, and and back then, I mean, if you imagine, it was six years ago. So so it was actual meetings with doctors and gynecologists. Mm-hmm. Um, and typically, if you imagine the environment, you know, where I already said South Africans are conservative. Now throw in a gynecologist, they're even more conservative. Mm-hmm. So. So that I think was the hardest is, um, is winning them over with this. Um, and it took time and it was tough. And, and, you know, you, it's, it's not only like a mixture of relationship and data and, and, you know, influences within that space, you know, being a part of the journey, but, uh, but it's a thick skin, you know, you, you got to, you, you really just got to kind of brush off the, the nose. You're stupid. You're, you know, who are you? You know, you're kind of too, you're female, like whatever. Um, and, and then you got to prove them wrong. And, and then, you know, what happened was, is we actually launched, you know, we launched with the product and, um, you know, received a huge amount of publicity and all that sort of thing. And, and literally, I mean, we did it because, because cervical cancer is the deadliest cancer in South Africa. It then became like, huge motivator for me. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, like I know the solution is available. I technically would know how to execute. Um, but, and now I've got even more motivation because now I know it's killing a stupid amounts of women in our country. Like, what are we doing? Like now I just had to do it. Yeah. Wow. That was the fire that kind of kept me going. And I was like, you know, I really don't care what, what this one doctor thinks. Um, it's clinically proven, it's valid, it's supported by X, Y, and Z. It's listed on this, you know, it's being done in this country. Um, I'm going to do it anyway um, because I, I was so fired up to, to help women around me who, who you know, were, were being impacted by it. But long story short, what was the hardest part during that time? It was the conservative, um, typically kind of medical community back home um, until we launched. Mm-hmm. We were helping women. We were helping women who like saw our advertising in airports and didn't have time for a pap smear and we're like, oh, this is the best thing ever. Um, and then and then we started referring more women to those same gynecologists yeah. than, than anything else. So, so these women had no intention of going for a pap smear, no time, all that sort of thing. And they came back with certain high strains of HPV mm-hmm. and we actually sent them back to those gynecologists. And mm-hmm. then everybody was our friend. Wow. Everybody. Yeah. <laughs> How long did that take? That sounds like maybe two, three years in the making, if not longer. Yeah, it took time. Yeah, it took easily kind of two, two and a half years. Yeah. Wow. So your credential, you know, being a woman aside, you also didn't, you're, you were not, and you're not a medical doctor. You didn't really study medicine or chemistry or biology, that sort of thing. What did you study in college? No, no. I literally studied a marketing degree. Um, and yeah, I mean, I studied separate, uh, kind of mini like MBA courses thereafter, um, through, through distance learning. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I'd say one of the, you know, at the time it was really tough, but, but one of the best things I probably did was change, uh, change from going to traditional university, uh, mm-hmm. like kind of the physical presence to studying distance learning. Yeah. So I continued my, my degree through distance learning and actually started working really young um, because of it. And I needed cash. I needed to pay stuff off. I paid for my own studies and started working at 19, like in a corporate. Whoa. You started working in, in corporate in, at the age of 19. Ever like 
since yeah. then. Oh, wow. Actually, young. Wow, there's a lot I'm discovering I didn't know before. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious because I remember the the reason, com- I'll make sure, number one, I'll make sure that you're off and we'll, we'll wrap it up in 10 minutes so you have time to get ready and, you know. <laughs> no. um, Thanksgiving dinner. I don't think it's going to take that long. Uh, are you going to bike, by the way? Bike no. over to your house? Oh, take yeah. it. oh, perfect. All right. Then then don't worry about it too much. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I just realized you live really close to Sam. You should. You guys should totally catch the same Uber. And, uh, <laughs> um, not to complicate things. I remember the most recent conversation that we had and knowing that you're always super busy. You know, we have lunch and dinner when we can, but there are times that you have to get on a call talking to investors, potential investors, VCs, and trying to close these deals. And I remember just some similarities of me running my own business, having to pitch myself to other people where for them to kind of come through uh, to say, hey, are we a good fit? And then you tend to sort of tell the same stories. But it was more painful for me in corporate because I was presenting somebody else's idea, case studies, whereas for Phase World, for my business, it felt easier. Yeah. Uh, what what is the journey has been? What's the journey has been like for you? For you know, let's just talk about maybe your your Boston uh, journey for the past year, year and a half. Uh, how do you find yourself motivate yourself to start and stop the conversation over and over again? Like, what was that like <laughs> with uh, with investors? Yeah, like how do you even find them? How do they find you? And like, what what is that process like? Oh my gosh! So literally. It is a case of hustling, like without you know, without sounding kind of like 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 that is the easy way out. It is literally a case of networking as much as you can, um, getting involved in associations as much as you can, um, getting referrals as much as you can. You you literally you get into a rhythm. Um, I mean, obviously, I've now been here for like two and a half years, so I, I I've adjusted a lot and I've you know learned a huge amount. But you know, really, it's a case of I knew that I was a foreigner and I knew that um, you know I didn't go to MIT, I didn't go to Harvard, and and. Yeah, I'm not a part of the club. I'm not a male. Yeah. Um, so, so I knew that I had to kind of work freaking 10 times harder just to get, get known um, and to get trusted and credible. So, so really one of the first things I did um, is I became a part of every association I could see that was going to be valuable. Mm-hmm. And, and I subscribed to it. I went to their events. Um, I am on their databases you know, I'm kind of finding whoever I think is relevant um, for what I was doing. And that was like step one. It was like, okay, cool. They are like the top 10. So top 10 associations, dive in, go to the events, talk to people, ask the question, you know, be like, hey, I'm doing X, Y, Z, looking for Y, can you help? Um, you know, really being bold enough to just ask those questions. And, and you know, one person, uh, but, but one thing that was interesting for me when I moved here is um, I just love, I've just loved Americans, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it sounds sounds you know, maybe a little bit cliched or you know, shallow, but like I, I was I was astonished, like within the first week of moving here, um, how I would make. I was introduced to somebody, I think, through my incubator, and uh, and and I would have one phone call with this person. This person was senior. He was a VC in San Francisco, and he was you know, you know, the, the kind of managing partner. Um, and literally, after thirty minutes, this guy said to me, "He's like, Allison, 
sounds interesting. I'm going to introduce you to so-and-so, 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 so literally five people on the phone. And I was like, oh my God, like who is this guy? I've never actually met him. Like, I don't know what he looks like. I've never shaken his hand. And to you, that sounds normal. You're like, Alison, oh, yeah. what's wrong with you? Nectar, yeah. Back home, yeah. no it. You know, back home, mm-hmm. oh my God, you would need eight months of, like, no joke, eight months of relationship with somebody. Uh-huh. Have you seen yet? For them to get to know you, trust you, like you, understand you, you know, know your family. Yeah. Then, and then they feel safe enough yeah. to send you to their network. So, so that's a fundamental difference that, uh, that I was exposed to like in week one. And, and that gentleman introduced me to five yeah. more people in his network. Yeah. And then what did I do? I phoned all five of those and then they expanded into the next five. So, oh, wow. so that's a, a kind of cultural difference that... Um, that we don't have in South Africa. You know, we're a lot more conservative. Um, and, and, and so long story short, it's, a, it's, it's literally a case of asking. If you like this episode, please consider subscribing to the Face World podcast. In fact, this podcast is intentionally created for independent creators and creative entrepreneurs to celebrate their life. I hope that you'll find other stories that resonate with you. And guess what? If you don't, if you want some recommendations, please reach out to me. I am Phase World Everywhere. That is F-E-I-S-W-O-R-L-D. And I will see you at the end of the show. What are some of the things that you learn? Is it gesture? Is that that warmth? Is it leaning in? Like, what? what is that like? Yeah, interesting. So it would... That's a good question. I would, yeah, I would definitely say, you know, does, is the person asking you questions back? Mm-hmm. You know, are they intently listening or are they kind of distracted by something else? Mm-hmm. Um, do they, you know, do they, do they take your card? Do they give you a card? You know, too many times at conferences, everyone's like, oh, sorry, you know, didn't mm-hmm. bring my cards to this, you know? So um, it's, it's, it's kind of a matter of detecting the real intent and, and, usually, I mean, I'm, I'm, I I try and always ask a bit of a curveball question in all of my meetings that people are kind of not expecting so that I can, I can really kind of test that. And and if that's a a personal question, I usually ask, I get personal quite fast actually. And, uh, you know, it'll be like, oh, so, you know, kind of what do you do in your spare time? Or, you know, if you have time, you ask certain questions that they weren't expecting to actually just test, are they freaking listening to you? Mm and and then yes, I mean, how engaged are they thereafter? Um, mm-hmm. you know, can you can you joke with them? Can you, you know, build some kind of a quick personal connection that enables them to remember you? Mm-hmm. You know, thankfully, I think it's a, it's a somewhat of a blessing in disguise that I am South African and mm-hmm. and female in mm-hmm. some ways, and you know, people remember that. You know, so, yeah. so if you got something that's memorable, use it. Um, you know, use it in a good way. So. Uh, so thankfully through that you remain memorable, but make sure you spend time on quality. So Mm -hmm. as you said, you know, picking up on those, those subtle, subtle hints, you know, is this person genuinely interested or are they going to turn around and like, you know, walk away in the next five minutes? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then, you know, following up. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of the stuff is detected after. So do they come back to you? Do they pick up your calls? Do they reply to your email, even emails? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there, you know, you can, you can detect obviously are they keen or not. 
Oh, that's, that's lovely. Think mm-hmm. about that. Like you get so much smarter, at least in this area and domain to, to know so much more than compared to even your, you yourself, like a year or two years ago. Um, this is lovely. I mean, I can imagine doing like a series of uh, this thing. With I actually encourage you to consider doing your literally five, 10 minute podcast using something like anchor.fm, like something you can speak right into your phone and say, you know, this is like a journey of a South American, South American, South, a journey of a South African female entrepreneur. And, yeah. uh, you know, I can make that mistake in front of you, which is like, I'd probably do it myself. I'd be like, this is the South American. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, you know see like that's the thing like we in chi- in chinese there's a term is like global to like village like it, we call it like a global village like we're all in this together and you can access different parts of the world so easily these days um you know i i want to make sure that uh, i don't delay your upcoming quick trip too much but i want to just touch base and have the opportunity to discuss with you because I recently recorded the video. It's not as of the recording right now, it's not published or live on YouTube, but the topic is like basically, you know, tough conversation. Uh, A lot of my Asian female friends asked me, they promoted me to talk about being Asian over 35 and child-free. And it doesn't, you don't have to be 35, but like literally the moment that you hit 30 or even in their late 20s, right? Everybody around you is like, who's your boyfriend? What's his family's like? When are you going to have kids? How many kids are you going to have? When are you going to get married? And, um, you know, so like we talk about that for a bunch of hours. Like what's your, what's your vision and your take on that in, in general? Like how much of your life do you spend thinking about it? (laughs) Very little. Uh, (laughs) um, Yeah, probably I should think about it more, but um, so yeah, I do think um, you know. I do think that women go through an unnecessary amount of pressure. Um, there is there's something that happens. We all know, like when we turn thirty. I don't know if it's society. I don't know if it's uh, you know, kind of previous generations. Like whatever it is, we just feel an overwhelming amount of kind of pressure that thirty is the time that you're supposed to you know, bear kids and have a husband. Um, but then the funny thing is, is that I turned 30 and then my life carried on. <laughs> you know, I, I woke up 30. I, like, oh. I was like, yeah, I was like, oh my God, I'm one day over 30 mm-hmm. and, and it's okay. Like nobody approached me and said, where's your child? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, you know, life carried on. I think, I think another interesting thing, I mean, obviously, at that time I was obviously moving to the US. So, so, so I was being exposed to other stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. and I wasn't within the same circles that I was who, who, you know, do are more expectant of that. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I I was totally distracted by my company and and I love what I do. So, Mm -hmm. so like I had this fire in me to, to do this and I'm dating an amazing guy, but, but I knew for a fact that, that, because of my business, I was like, I, I'm, I'm not even mentally prepared to have a child now, even if I was married. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was for me, um, just like a logical decision. I was like, you know, God, I'm like getting my company running. It's like so great. So fun. So great. Like, why am I going to like, why would I do this? Even if I was married? Um, 
So, so really, I mean, I, I did freeze my eggs and we've, we've spoken about it and I've got like nothing to hide and, and really I, cause it was empowering. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it took me a long time to, to decide. Um, it wasn't an overnight decision at all. I think it took me a year. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but what was going on is, uh, is, is you know, people, I, I knew girls who, um, uh, were struggling to to have kids, and they they were they were older than me, um, but it was a very you know, sad situation. Some of them were struggling, and um, and and really, I mean, I've been exposed to to a lot of medical stuff in my life. My mom is a nursing sister, so so we've been exposed to you know the challenges of of fertility, yeah. um, and and I was just like you know. I know now that I don't want to have, I don't want to have kids now, but, uh, but I don't want to not have the choice later. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. so, so I really kind of slept on that. And, and at the time I was like hugely, um, uh, you know, hugely religious, not huge, but like, you know, I was you know, following a path and, um, and, and so it was like kind of against many grains that I had at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like, Oh, you know, I'm kind of like, you know, this is a little bit not natural. Um, mm-hmm. And then eventually something, something cracked and I was just like, hang on. I was like, I'm thinking of it from the wrong perspective. You know, this egg freezing thing is really an insurance plan. That's what this is. Yeah. And I was like, I've got a decent car. I've got insurance on the car. It makes logical sense to me. So this is what egg freezing is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> insurance on me um, for a future date. And so once I like switched the perception, I was like, oh, but then it's a rational decision. You know, there's nothing like emotional about this thing. Let's just mm. get it done. Yeah. So uh, I, I, you know, the procedure, I don't know how much detail you want, but like, you know, it was pretty, you know, once you'd make the decision, it was pretty kind of easy going. Um, you know, the procedure was easy going itself. It was like only kind of 15 minutes, but, um, but you know, the injections itself. Leading up like, to the procedure. Right? Yeah, there were injections um, that you take, I think, like a week, no, sorry, two weeks ahead of time. And yeah. you know, that's, that's pretty interesting. And you feel like a bit kind of groggy and uncomfortable or whatever as this happens. Um, was it tolerable? Or was the pain and like discomfort, not just sharp pain, but was it discomfort, the pressure, like tolerable for you? Like Totally tolerable. Mm-hmm. I, I am not an injection person at all all mm-hmm. like for a person who is now actually advocating blood collection i absolutely hate it <laughs> so, uh, there were tiny so, needles i heard yeah 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 so so they were they're tiny tiny needles and you kind of you put them um in, in the side of your your stomach um, mm-hmm. every day um and so so that was the worst of it and i think for me someone who literally faints um at, at the sides of that i think i fainted once um uh, you know, it, it was fine. Like that was the worst part about it is really these okay. daily injections. For sure, you feel, you know, you just feel kind of bloated or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then the procedure itself was totally harmless. I think I, I fell asleep um, and and like woke up and it was all done and it was like all in all for few minutes and, and fine. And life went back to normal. Like you felt normal immediately after or it took like a week or two to to feel okay? No, I mean, I think there was like discomfort when you go to the, when you go to the bathroom, but, Mm -hmm. um, but honestly, like nothing terrible. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I think within a few days that was fine. Yeah. Yeah. Completely like harmless. Like I, I think the, the, the biggest thing for me was kind of mental. Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, I I try and rationalize it 
back then. And I was like, well, this is insurance. It's going to make perfect sense. But, uh, but I underestimated the impact it would, it would have. And it did have on my life. Yeah. So, um, so now that I've, I've you know, obviously look back and I'm very grateful that I did do it. Um, whether I need it or not is another story completely. But, um, but I was amazed at the, the way it just freed me up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. It was like a game changer. You know, suddenly you're like not feeling this, this need. I was like, oh, thank God. You know, like I don't have to get married at 30. You know, yeah. I don't have to find the nearest male and start breeding. You know, yeah. like I don't have to feel mm-hmm. this pressure anymore. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I was like, oh my God, I can actually plan yeah. my one day family. Like literally, I can be like, okay, cool. At this age, I'm going to do this. I can start then, have a kid then. Yeah. Like I could literally tabulate my life. And, uh, and that for me was a game changer. Absolutely freeing. I can like go forward with confidence and like guns blazing. I so, feel like I'm being freed right now. I'm uh, I know, I feel listening like, to this story. I feel like some clinic has got to pay me to be their sponsor. Seriously. Yeah, <laughs> no, I know. You know, for, for, I know a lot of women who started their own family to say, maybe they didn't really like the ones that they, you know, they were born into and they want to create this perfect home, having multiple kids and they want to be the best influence, most positive influence. And I think, Obviously, that belief is, is absolutely beautiful. A lot of people are succeeding at it. But also, I think about the path that we're on. Think about the path you're on in particular. Like, think about how many thousands of women and easily, hopefully, tens of thousands and millions of women's lives you're going to change, right? It, it's that not just that one day in their life, but it's something they will do on a regular basis and, you know, changes their perspective their expectation leading up to that appointment or whatever they need to get done. Now they can just be comfortable. They can be home. Um, and as you know, I can see this really what you're doing to really expand to certain parts of other parts of the world, like Asia, for example, where women don't have uh, the, even the access to go to a hospital, even if they wanted to or too expensive. So um Yay! Go Allie! <laughs> Team Allie fan, yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's 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 been an incredible journey, but that's the goal, right? The goal is to is to help those who who really need it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's to help those populations who can't, who don't, who are scared, who haven't, who are not allowed to, are anxious. Um, mm-hmm. It's to help those the most. Um, you know, so, so try and make the small difference that you can in whatever way you can. And, and if you know that you can just do it, you know, have the courage to just try. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Now we <laughs> can have the courage today. Thanksgiving during the recording. And uh, I think it's so lovely cool. that we're talking about this. I think this is the spirit of Thanksgiving to, to give love to one another and not just to your family, but, you know, like a community. This episode of the Face World podcast is brought to you by Face World LLC, our marketing service agency created for independent creators and businesses. We offer website development, video production, marketing mentorship to people who want to tell better stories, level up, and create a profitable brand. Face World podcast team are chief editor and producer Herman Ceballos, associate producer Adam Leffert, social media and content manager Rose De Leon transcript editor Alina, 
Ahmidova, and lastly, myself, the creator and host of Phase World. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>